Welcome to the Comic Sauce Podcast, where we talk comics and comics culture. I am Henry Liu, and today I'm joined by Christian Diadamo. Christian, how are you doing? Doing well, Henry. Thanks for having me. Of course. We are joined by Porfirio Rangel. Porfirio, how are you? I'm doing really well, Henry. Glad to be here if you get to. Awesome. The Comic Sauce Podcast is on social media. We are at Comic Sauce Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Check us out there. Today is September 9th, 2021. And yeah, we are just off of seeing Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings all together last week. So we're going to talk some Shang-Chi today. But first, you know, Christian and I, we talked about the Silicon Comic Convention in our previous episode, an episode that Porfirio unfortunately wasn't able to make. So we thought it might be cool to let you, Porfirio, voice your thoughts on the convention here and now. Uh, we won't spend a ton of time on it, but uh, we definitely wanted to give you an opportunity to let us know how it went for you. How did it go? Okay, like, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, or at least, yeah, I made the most fun I can out of the situation. Um, it just felt good being back at a con, seeing all the cool fan art again, seeing the cosplayers, like, um like the celebrities and the panels weren't the best i have to admit but i think just the excitement and the fact that everyone just enjoyed being there made it um just a lot of fun you know uh i gotta dress up both days the first day i was like scarlet wiccan which is just like wiccan in like a red chaos alternative costume and then the second day, I dressed up as Constantine, and that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it was cool. Like I said, being at the panels, like we went to the Lana Padilla panel, and I'm not familiar with her work, but I could just feed. I was like feeding off the energy that the audience had, all the love they had for her. And it was really warm and vibrant. And that's how pretty much like the whole experience was during the whole thing. Like you could tell that it wasn't like at the level that we all experienced at previous um, cons or yeah, even at Silicon Valley Comic Con. But, you know, given the situation, I think it was just a really well-needed distraction from all the dis destruction that the world's going in right now and it was just a great amount of fun just being there cool that is really great to hear preferio and um yeah i feel like our take on the convention last week was you know a bit on the negative side but kind of like what you're saying, Preferio, you know, in these times, we all need some fun in our lives. 
some positive mm-hmm. experiences. And I do think it was a positive experience, you know. Um, I, I feel like I like to point out little things that, that bug me, you know, ever the critic. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, that's just who I am. Uh, but, uh, you know, ultimately, yeah, it was a nice break from the madness of it all right now. Uh-huh. It's so funny you say that, like, um, at the con, me and Christian attended a Everybody's a Critic panel. Mm. And yeah, everybody has an opinion. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for good or bad. And well, um, yeah, yeah. 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 To me, and I've stated this before, but to me, that's being, that is part of being a geek, having an opinion. So when I complain about stuff, when I nitpick (laughs) about shit, I feel like that's like part of being a geek. You know, that's, that's all part of it. I think, you know, It, it comes, it comes from a place of love. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so I think we can close the book on Silicon. You know, till next year. Till next year, you know, what the future holds with Silicon and conventions in general is uh, is is kind of vague and unclear, but uh, I'm sure we'll get back to some level of normalcy in the near future. We will see what happens. For now, let's dive into Shang-Chi. So this was a highly anticipated movie for the three of us. And like Black Widow, we got to experience this movie for the first time all together in an actual movie theater. So, yeah, let's start there. What was our movie experience the three of us saw it last week friday night in daily city california at the century theater there so how about you christian uh what is your take on our movie experience last week Uh, it's a lot of fun to go see a theater and or go see a movie in the theater um like we had a pretty we had a big group together, um, but not too big, and we all chatted before the movie. Got some pizza, you know, and like went in. They had like free posters there for Shang Chi, which were pretty cool. And I don't know, it's just a nice vibe, and it's really cool seeing a Marvel movie opening night with the crowd. And there was one guy, of course, who was really really into it. Yes. Who really liked to shout, you know, shout out during the tra- each trailer and during the movie, and mm-hmm. so yeah, just a lot of fun, just a really great vibe. That's cool, and uh, yeah, I wanted to call out this guy also because uh, when we heard him during the trailers, I think we all kind of had a similar fear and that was he might ruin the movie for everyone because he was really loud and he was like cheering some of the trailers he was booing some of the other trailers and just like really rowdy and kind of obnoxious 
Um, but ultimately, I think it was cool. And he actually added to the experience because he wasn't overly rowdy and definitely not obnoxious. And um, he kind of cheered at the white points and he was just into it. And I think he he kind of added to uh, the movie going experience for all of us. And it, it kind of made me think of uh, this one Stan Lee cameo. I think, Perferio, you've called this out before, but uh, in Spider-Man 3, Stan Lee has a cameo where he says, I guess one person can make a difference. And uh, <laughs> this guy made a difference, man. Like He single-handedly added to uh, the fun of uh, the entire theater, you know? So pretty cool, pretty cool. And like, you can't get that at home, right? If you're at home by yourself or just with your family or whatever, um, you don't get that community experience, right? So we got that. We totally got that. Unless your family's really loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Depending on your family. Depends <laughs> on your family. Yeah. That, that uh, guy could be in your family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess it's possible. Yeah. We, we, we don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, never saw his face so like yeah we'll never know so yeah. who, who mm-hmm. knows maybe there is some connection to him uh somehow oh, what thank about you, you unsung hero <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> uh real quick uh how, what was it like going out in person to see shang chi last week i th- for me yeah like going off what christian was saying i kind of did have a high expectation towards the movie going in like i kind of had a clean slate of what i I didn't i didn't have any like bar to what i was expecting but i just going into me i just knew that there was like a lot of praise coming from like critics and um other friends who had seen the movie the night before or something like that like i had not heard a negative critic towards this movie so i kind of had like a little bit of a high bar um so but going to the movie i thought it was just a great experience like going with you guys going to marvel midnight premiere going with the guide the unsung hero um going with our other half of the groups who is kind of new to marvel movies you know and just kind of like having like a mix of like a fresh take and a uh veteran to uh, Marvel movies it was just just to have like you know everybody having a good time I thought it was just really fun and not even COVID could stop that <laughs> nice great take okay so let's get into the movie itself so yeah safe to say we were all looking forward to watching this movie did it live up to our expectations? Uh, we'll definitely give our overall ratings at the end of this episode. Um, but let's get into it. I know we enjoyed the movie. Maybe we can talk about some of the things we liked about it. What are some of the positives of this particular movie? Are, are, we, are we talking spoilers or, or not yet? Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up. We'll throw out the spoiler alert. 
spoiler alert for Shang-Chi. We will get into plot points, etc. Uh, so yeah, what you got for us, Preferio? Okay, so what I liked about it was um, that it was just a it, it was a good movie that uh, told a good story that um, I was worried that this movie was just gonna be like a kind of like stereotype of like Asians, um, you know, yeah, Asian stereotypes like with the kung fu and. Um, the family and I don't know, like maybe even like accents, but none of that was uh, none of that was shown. If anything, it was more of like a respect towards like Asian culture and um, yeah, like about like how family is very tight and uh, great visuals to like the choreography was amazing. Um, there was a lot of symbolism. And it was just so beautiful and really, really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I like that take. And um, kind of going off of that, interestingly, I had almost a reverse anticipation where you were kind of concerned that there might be some Asian stereotyping that sort of thing. My concern was a little bit more like, well, I hope they they don't shy away from the Kung Fu too much because, you know, in this day and age, having a big budget Kung Fu movie might be perceived as like an Asian stereotype, right? So I was a little concerned that they might like shy away from traditional Kung Fu action, but -hmm. they didn't. This was a straight up Kung Fu flick. And I was so happy with that, you know, uh, going in. And I think I stated this in a previous episode, but going in, I was really hoping that they weren't trying to make the Asian Black Panther movie. That's that was my hope. You know, I I really hope they weren't going to get into racial and political type stuff. Not to say that. Black Panther was like a Spike Lee movie or something, but they definitely went there. You know, they definitely went into those that territory in a great way. Um, but I felt like it would be asking for too much to to have this movie do the same. So I was really hoping that w- they would kind of tone down like um, that side of it and instead make a straight up Kung Fu movie. And that is exactly what they did. I couldn't be happier. Um, I was really hoping that that they would take that approach. They really did take that approach. Um, You know, personally, I love Kung Fu movies. So I was, you know, sort of selfishly wanting that. But in my mind, I was thinking too that, well, look at the history of this character. You know, Shang-Chi is born of the Bruce Lee era phenomenon, right? So he was really born of of Kung Fu movies. So it would make sense to make a straight up Kung Fu movie for uh, the debut of this character. Uh, So it's appropriate and I thought it would work and it did work. So couldn't be happier for, for that aspect of the movie. 
Um, how about you, Christian? What, uh, what positives did you walk away with? Um, yeah. So I guess the first big thing I guess going off of, uh, what you were just talking about, Henry is the Kung Fu and the action. Like I would, I would say that like, like the Kung Fu was pretty kick-ass was really dope. The, I think the bus scene probably like might be the best action scene in a Marvel movie. I think the way that a lot of like older previous Marvel movies are shot um, during action scenes and a lot of just action movies in general is there's a lot of very, very quick cuts mm -hmm. in the action. And uh, whereas this movie definitely takes a much wider uh, view of the action and really tries to give you very long takes of the fight scenes. And I'm like a big sucker for that. I love it when movies do that, when they show you like each hit and each reaction to the hit. I think um, the bus scene and like the the building scene after that was also like, I think a real highlight of it. Um, it really shows Shang-Chi being the master of Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. And um like I didn't really know what to expect from the the Ten Rings themselves, but I actually thought those were like a really cool weapon. I thought um, the way they were used uh, was really cool, and they were used in like various, various different ways. They didn't really have like one specific function. They were kind of used as like a bit of a gun in one shot, and then another um, Tony Leung's character, uh, uh, Wen Wu is like whipping them around essentially like a bunch of different whips and like uh in many in like in many many different ways like i think the action here was really top notch and that made like i think like like gave this like really like electrifying feel to the movie you know yeah i agree the action was very satisfying in this movie and yeah, I agree. The bus fight is so awesome. And um, yeah, I can't say enough about the Kung Fu action in this movie because again, like there's the aspect of using Kung Fu in movies that some may consider, consider sort of an Asian stereotype. But the other side of it too is uh, movies and TV are really moving towards realism and traditional kung fu movie action isn't really like realistic practical fighting right there's a theatricality to it right so um there was another fear you know i thought maybe they might uh, shy away from that and try to make make it a little bit more realistic but man, they went full like Jackie Chan on this shit, right? That bus fight was straight out of an old school Jackie Chan movie. Um, Shang-Chi's moves on the bus and um, the techniques he was using <laughs> were, were like straight up Jackie Chan. So super cool. And I don't think there's any mistake about what you are observing, Christian, that they weren't doing close-ups and quick cuts they were kind of using like wider angles and and letting the action play out in front of you because that's how they shot those old school Chinese martial arts movies, right? Um, they didn't rely on editing 
and camera tricks, they relied on on uh, the stunt work, right? Real life martial artists, right? So, um, yeah, really cool to see all that, you know, uh, really satisfying to to see all that go down. Um, Oh yeah, and yeah, I, I again agreed with the the 10 rings. So in the comics, the Mandarin has rings on his fingers, right? Hence the 10 rings. So the implication has always been, you know, since day one of the MCU, that the 10 rings are from the Mandarin's fingers, right? Those 10 rings on his fingers. Um, But uh, really cool what they did with it. Like, I totally agree with everything you mentioned, Christian, it was inventive to have the rings go on his forearms instead of his fingers. And really cool to see all the different uses he had for them, you know, use it to fly, use it as a weapon and just, uh, yeah, a a lot of creativity there. And that was uh, pretty fun to see. Yeah like i think uh might be a, a segue into i think another very strong point in this movie which was the villain i yes. loved tony leung <laughs> as the mandarin i think he's like i feel like become one of the best mcu villains he was like a very relatable character he was a father and like he put in a great performance with his like his awesome rings that like I was like pretty glued to the screen whenever he was on it you know whenever he was there for a scene you kind of wonder what what's he gonna do next and how he didn't really like come off as like a big mustache twirling bad guy or your typical like MCU villain like he felt very very real yeah I, I agree Christian like I think like very early on, he says like he he could have taken over the world if he wanted to. He did. He found that kind of boring, so he kind of like went on to kind of like pursue this other thing of like find this mystical land. And I feel like yeah, he was one of the better MCU villains because he was just so relatable. Like he just wanted to. Um, come into this magical land to get his wife back you know it's totally something that's relatable that i feel like anyone would have done in the name of love and like you know if you look at like mcu's best villains like the kingpin vulture killmonger like none of them really have like a like i want to take over the world agenda but more of like a like relatable kind of thing like the small person just want to do their part in um and just like be the best that they can be but it's just like in malicious kind of ways and um it's just it just made him really um a great villain and like you said it was just a treat seeing him on screen yeah 100 percent agree with you guys Tony Leung totally killed it, man. Um, Here's a guy who's had a legendary film career in Asia. But this movie, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, is his first Hollywood movie. 
his first movie in Hollywood. Number one this is a guy who's, uh, you know, done amazing performances in Hong Kong cinema and, um, you know, hasn't spoken English for the majority of his film career. So what he did in this movie is really phenomenal. Like he does speak Mandarin Chinese quite a bit in the movie. So I, we should call that out. Um, pretty cool that they didn't shy away from using uh, Mandarin language and mm -hmm. subtitles throughout the movie. Um, there's another fear, you know, it was like, oh, uh, were they going to dumb it down for the American audience? But no, they, they kept it real. They, they, when, when it was appropriate to have Mandarin language, they had it. Uh, so the Wen Wu character certainly spoke Mandarin quite a bit, uh, but a lot of his dialogue was in English. And um, he, he seemed like a total veteran actor, even when speaking English. He just had this amazing presence to him. And they needed that. This is a character who lived for thousands of years. And like you were saying, Porfirio, he's essentially conquered the world in his lifetime. So there has to be this confidence, this, uh, you know, royalty kind of feel to him. And, and that just really translated in his performance. You got, you got the feel that this guy was just like um, a big deal, right? He didn't even have to mm -hmm. say anything. You could tell just the way he he, he presented himself. You, you just felt that presence. Um, and he, he just he just he, he really he really brought a lot to this movie. And um, also what you're saying before you about how he's kind of relatable. You understand his his motivations. I totally agree with that, too. You know, um, earlier in the movie, you actually get to see in a flashback how he fell in love with his wife right there's this extended sequence where you see them kind of falling for each other right um and yeah at the time it was a little bit like why uh why are we seeing this exactly you know but you really understand later because um it makes sense why he does what he does later right he does all this terrible stuff in the name of love and all that stuff earlier, when you see him falling in love with his wife pays off at the end of the movie, because you truly understand his motivations. So if it wasn't set up by that earlier stuff, it would be kind of this, uh, you know, more stereotype villain where you don't really understand what he's doing, but you're just like, okay, he's evil. So I guess he's just doing that because he's a bad guy. Right. But no, you really understand you like it's it's he, he, it humanizes him. Right. Even though he's this crazy, like immortal type character with these uh, all these powers, um, you, you understand why he does what he does. He does terrible things to his family, but ultimately you really re you really understand why. And you brought up Killmonger, right? Preferio similar kind of thing like Killmonger does really terrible things to his family um but again because of the character development earlier in the movie you really understand why he does what he does so very cool and I agree yeah he's he's up there in in the best MCU villains no question 
So what else was good? I certainly got other stuff on my list here. <laughs> what, what else did you guys uh, like? Um, okay, it's, it's so funny how you bring up like, you know, um, that the character spoke Mandarin in the movie. I think like one character that didn't speak Mandarin but understood it was uh, Aquafina's character. Yeah. And, you know, like, um, for me, I just liked her character so much just because I was able to relate to it. Just, like, uh, you know, I feel like she brought, like, that, like, Chinese-American experience. Like, and they bring it up a lot, like, oh, you're totally westernized. Like, you know, uh, what's your, like, Chinese name and everything? And I feel like also for me like just being latino like there's this whole thing about like speaking spanish and understanding the culture and everything and like yeah like visiting relatives back home it's like oh you're americanized now you know so i just like that whole like uh identity culture kind of aspect that her character brought great call out i totally agree with that and um i would add to it that you know, we've been talking about how this movie doesn't get explicitly into racial and political territory. Um, but, you know, a couple of things it did really well. One is Asian representation. The cast is primarily Asian and that alone was awesome. You just don't get that that often, sadly, right? tons of great Asian actors in this movie. And to me, I felt like if you had enough Asian actors, you're good. That's why I was like, you got all these Asians, just make a good fucking <laughs> Kung Fu movie. And I'm good. And I got that. But in addition to that, there, there are these cool layers too, kind of like what you're alluding to, Perfrio. There are different types of Asians in this movie. There's the Aquafina character, Katie, who's an Asian American. Her Mandarin is like not great. Um, then you got Shang-Chi himself, who is like Asian American, but he was born and raised in Asia and he, he does have good Mandarin and he kind of uh, is part of both cultures. And then you just got straight up Asian characters like Tony Leung and, um, and like all these different layers in between. It's really cool. And um, yeah, I think, whatever the the movie is lacking in kind of explicit racial exploration it really shines with this representation and and the complexity of the asian american experience you know um it's not explicit but like once you start to examine it and and dig a little deeper you realize you you get all these layers and uh that's pretty cool you know like um, you can enjoy this movie as a straight up Kung Fu action movie. And I know I certainly did, um, but you can kind of dig deeper and, and, uh, there, there, there isn't, there, there is more to it than, than, uh, just the action experience. So I, I certainly appreciated that. Yeah. To add on to that, uh, I, I really liked how at the beginning of the movie, we, um, we got to see, um, katie's family uh they lived in chinatown and, and like for like all the quick shots you get of san francisco i'm glad they got to focus on that like 
you really got to see who she was and it helps like kind of ground and relate relate to this character like i thought i thought she was like very very well done like she was funny at the right times and like but didn't like overstay overstay like the uh the like funny goofy attitude you know Mm -hmm. which has definitely happened in in marvel movies before where uh you'll have like the character that's just kind of there to to say like a goofy one-liner when something serious is going on to like break the tension but when something serious happens she's kind of there with it you know she responds in kind like a human would and that made her feel like a a much more real character similar to how we were talking about uh tony leung's character earlier so i thought she was great um, and she had really good chemistry with Simu. Um, like I thought they ba- like the two characters bounced off each other really, really well, and they seemed like genuine longtime friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like going off both of your guys' points, like yeah, they seem like really good friends, and I don't know if like that if that's going to like hint at a positive romance in the future, but just the fact that there wasn't a romance between the, the main two characters in this film, I kind of enjoyed. Yeah. You know, it's different. It, it, it wasn't forced. It was just genuine friendship. Um, and then again, and then going off what Henry's saying about like how the, I guess like social points weren't like in your face. Like I think there was like this like whole, hint with like um shang chi's name between like him and aquafina like when he told her her real name she was like having the hardest time pronouncing it and i feel like that's just something like a lot of american audience would have had you know not just his name but a, a bunch of other you know foreign names how people have the hardest time pronouncing it in it and it's just like even a big blaster film like this mm-hmm. people are still going to get the name wrong yeah. Oh, that scene was funny because when Simo Leo was explaining to Aquafina how to pronounce his name, I felt like he wasn't just talking to her. He was talking to the audience, too. You know, yeah, he's telling exactly. people, like, this is how you pronounce it. And, you know, um, the mispronunciation of of names is kind of used as an insult nowadays, right? So I think it's kind of cool to call out that sort of thing about like having respect for names and the pronunciation of names and that sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, oh yeah, before we get off of Aquafina, I too did think she was really good in this movie and really enjoyed all the scenes with uh, her and and Simu. Um, Yeah, they had great chemistry. They were they are really funny together. Now, both actors are from uh, comedy TV. So I'm glad that they got to sort of flex those comedy muscles in this movie. They were definitely funny and um, not just funny too. like there's a scene later in the movie where Shang-Chi essentially uh, admits to her that he did kill for his father right very emotional dramatic scene and um you know they're as good together in a dramatic scene 
compared to comedic scene. Um, so cool to see that. And um, yeah, just, just good to see them together. Now, you guys brought up the, uh, the lack of a romance between the two characters. Now, I was going to ask you guys that because explicitly, no, they don't embrace and kiss at the end of the movie. But there was some, you know, implications <laughs> of romance there. Like, um, I think earlier in the movie, uh, the grandma's like, when are you guys getting married? Oh, yeah. And they're yeah. like, oh, no, no, we're just friends. We're just friends. Um, but then, you know, I, I, I did see this movie a second time. And I kind of noticed, noticed it a little bit more explicitly the second time. Like, they're a little chummy. You know, at the end of the movie, they're kinda, they kind of do this little hug. Um, and they're always together. Now, what, what do you guys think? Is there some romance going on going on or will there be romance or what's your guys's take on that hmm. you know so. as, as, no go for it go for it. uh as much as i don't want there to be a romance because i just it's like why can't there be like platonic cool friendship between a guy and a girl but th- there there was definitely romance going on going on towards the end and everything and so yeah i wouldn't be surprised if yeah eventually in the future they end up sharing like a kiss or something yeah yeah i think i think you're definitely right there is a bit of a little bit of that tension that you see towards the end and so it might be like you know like peter and mj in like the the Spider-Man movies how they they didn't really get together like until like the second movie although like they weren't like best friend chums in Homecoming so i don't know i think i definitely think they could go that angle um but i think what's nice is that like we're we're they're like taking the time to like lead into that rather than just like push it out right out of the gate you know Oh, I would add too. In the middle of the movie, when they're in Macau, and Shang Chi's about to battle his sister, um, he uh, he takes off his shirt, right? And Aquafina definitely gives him a pretty thirsty look when she sees him <laughs> without a shirt, right? So uh, I think there's definitely some vibes going on there um, where it will lead we don't know i think in uh in classic kevin feige territory he's leaving it open right it could happen doesn't necessarily have to happen but he's leaving it open uh if they want to you know explore that storyline right so it could happen mm-hmm. all right um what else um hey I, I wanted to call out a character i really liked in this movie did not have a single line of dialogue, but the death dealer was really cool. I thought, um, I think the death dealer versus Shang-Chi battle is the best fight in the movie. Um, maybe not the best sequence, like the best sequence would probably be that bus battle, but the, the best like straight up 
one-on-one fight, I think, is Death Dealer versus Shang-Chi in Macau. Uh, that is like straight up Hong Kong Kung Fu cinema action, man. And it's super fast paced. And the stunt work is like phenomenal. These are real martial artists going at it. And uh, highly enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed that fight so much that I was actually kind of disappointed that later on, the Death Dealer actually doesn't do much in the movie. Uh, reminded me a little bit of uh, Taskmaster in the Black Widow movie. Um, but uh, that was cool. And uh, props to Andy Lee, who played Death Dealer, because uh, he brought he brought his A game here. Um, and uh, yeah, I was curious, too, because there there is Death Dealer merch. I, I've seen Death Dealer dealer toys and target and stuff so i knew about them and um yeah i I was definitely like curious what they were going to do with them i don't think they even called them the death dealer in this movie but uh, that's what the merch says (laughs) uh so it's cool to see him kick some ass here i I figured remind me who who do you see end up fighting at the end so he fights uh the michelle yo character at the end um Ying Nan. The aunt, right? Yes. That's right. Okay. That's right. So who's this who's the sister fight? Uh she fights uh Razor Fist at the end. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that okay, oh go ahead, uh Christian. Oh, I was just saying it's like, oh man, I kind of forgot about that too. It was like so quick. It really was, yeah. For a okay. character that, yeah, like you know was so present during the first cut, like two thirds of the movie. So that might be a good segue segue into the, the not so great stuff of the movie. The final act, the MCU final act where a lot of these movies do fall off a bit. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the end of Shang-Chi. So yeah, interestingly, um, you know, we are all kind of struggling to remember, oh, who fought who at the end? <laughs> you know, it should have been more apparent. Like, it could have been really awesome if you saw, like, really explicitly choreographed and distinct battles between some of these characters. If you got to see a showdown between the Death Dealer and Ying Nan, Shang-Chi's aunt, and mm-hmm. Razor Fist versus uh, Shang-Chi's sister, you know, but as it turned out, it was just kind of this big melee at the end, right? Um, And everything was uh, a little bit messy. Now, the end of the movie did have a heavy focus on Shang-Chi versus his dad, Wen Wu, and that was like well choreographed and um, a pretty kick-ass couple scenes, really. but I think it could have been better if they really highlighted some of these other battles, you know? Um, and uh, I guess I'll call it out now. The very end of the movie features two giant CGI dragons fighting each other. And it was pretty bad. <laughs> uh, it was it was pretty stupid. Like. <laughs> Um, what can I say? <laughs> yeah, for a movie that I enjoyed so much up to that point, 
it, it was a, a pretty stark contrast in quality where, yeah, you know, all, all the positives we've been bringing up, like the Asian style Kung Fu action, where it's like all about stunt work and real stunt people, real martial artists, martial artists doing their thing. And to throw these like giant CGI dragons onto the screen, it, it just uh, was like a total 180 from that, right? It really took away from, from all the cool Kung Fu action, right? Um, so that was a dis disappointment, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know what else uh, to say there. <laughs> just disappointing. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with you on that. Like, um, it, it definitely like, like the movie definitely has its own like really cool feel. Um, during like the first half, you know, yeah, um, in San Francisco and Macau, um, but I, I, I'm actually gonna take it a little one step further. I think the movie kind of starts going downhill kind of once they get to the secret base. Um, I did like the them at the table with um, with the Mandarin, and that's kind of when you the movie does have to like really slow down to kind of get more into the uh, the Tao Lo plot, mm -hmm. the, hidden, the hidden secret village that he's trying to get to. And like, you know, the film does need, need like a bit of exposition there. Um, but I think, but then he kind of, but then he throws him in jail and right away in their cell, that's when they meet Ben Kingsley, um, <laughs> who I thought, you know, at first it was like, Oh, Hey, this they're, they're actually bringing him back. Okay. Uh, but I, honestly, I think that he like kind of outstayed his welcome. I thought he was kind of everything, like everything good that I said about Aquafina being this like really well-developed character who didn't just uh wasn't just there for like the goofy one-liners and like really was her own character i feel like that's like the opposite of ben kingsley's character in this movie uh who was just kind of there for like little plucky one-liners he was like a like a way goofier than anybody else we had seen up to that point and he um and of course he brings in this his little like pet uh the like chicken pig <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. Aquafina called Norris. Him. Yeah, Norris. Norris. Yeah. <laughs> and like Norris just happens to know the exact way to get into the hidden village, <laughs> you know? Like some like already knows it. So it's kind of this like little Deus Ex Machina, just so they can like scoot the plot back along. Uh like I think. And like of course they break out like way of uh, the secret hidden base, like way too easily, you know? Uh, the car chase was all right, all like all right scene. The bamboo maze was all right, I think. Um, and then of course they get to the you know the village, and you get more exposition. You get you do there's like a really great flashback scene when you finally get the full information. But I think, I don't know. I think the movie kind of like it loses a lot of steam at that point. It, there's a lot more magical creatures. It feels much more like you're watching. A standard Marvel movie, unfortunately, and less like this really badass kung fu action flick with a with a bit of a Marvel flair. Um, and there there's there's some good parts in the village, you know the and like the rope dart I thought was really cool, 
but uh, yeah, as we were saying, Henry, then the final battle comes out, and it's just kind of this kind of a mess of a final fight. You, will, you have some cool scenes here. And then, of course, Tony Leung's character dies. A character we were saying was really awesome, really commanded, had a lot of screen presence. But then he dies before the big final act of the two CGI dragons fighting. And I think because of that, I kind of really checked out at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it really should have been more of like a five on five instead of like a 30 on 30, you know, to really kind of focus yeah. in on those those final fights, you know, those those matchups that I think we really just wanted to see. Yeah. Yeah. There That's... does seem to be this prerequisite with the MCU where the end of the movies have to be this huge spectacle. You know, I, I don't know what, who, who made that call, but <laughs> every one of these movies has to have this big giant CGI end, it seems, right? Um, yeah, I, I think it, it just was a little overboard. Um, but if you're wondering why this... Uh, this uh, chicken pig thing, Morris, exists. Well, um, watching the movie, it sure felt like a a play on merch, you know, (laughs) to try to sell some toys. And I just looked it up. You can order a Morris stuffy right now (laughs) if you want. So uh, there's your answer. They want to sell some some merch. Uh, That's exactly why Morris is in the movie. Why am I not surprised? Yeah. <laughs> no one's surprised, right? Um, but yeah, good call. Yeah, it's not just the very end. It, it really is the whole sequence in in Talo that um, where the movie does perhaps take a step down a bit in quality. Now, you know, to to be fair, uh, the movie does need to change because you're you're moving from like an urban realistic environment to this mystical land right and um so there's gonna be a different look and feel to it um but i would say that you know the the kung fu action shouldn't be sacrificed just because we're introducing some some mystical powers into the mix um yeah, yeah. I, I think they, they, they could have kept the action grounded at the end, but um, yeah, I, I feel like maybe they went overboard uh, to the extreme in the other direction to make it like fully supernatural, mystical powers on display rather than uh, grounded kung fu realistic fighting. Um, okay, so... What else? Oh, I did want to add uh, this too. Oh, real quick, before you, I wanted to add this in the the Talo stuff. Uh-huh. Now, another uh, staple of kung fu cinema is the training montage. Right, our heroes must train in order to overcome their superior adversaries. Right, uh, we see this all the time in kung fu cinema, and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings does feature a training sequence. That's cool. But 
I feel like it was a little bit lacking um, because we see Shang-Chi, his sister, and Katie all training in Talo in this mystical land. It kind of makes sense, right? Um, not Katie, but Shang-Chi and his sister are masters of Kung Fu, you know, uh, but they're not experienced with uh, the mystical side of things, right? Uh, so they, they do have stuff to learn here but uh they trained for all of one day one day of training <laughs> that's it uh, uh, aquafina even jokes at the very end of the movie that she trained with a bow and arrow for one day that's why i know it's one day she said it herself she said she said she trained for one day <laughs> why didn't they make the training like a longer period of time it's not like they would have to add a lot of screen time. They could have had a montage, you know, uh, you know, days, weeks, months pass, you know, and you see them improving over time. It just seemed really ridiculous that after one day, they would be, you know, so proficient in their skills, right? It, it didn't make any sense at all, especially Katie, who had no combat training whatsoever to speak of to that point right uh so would have liked to see a little bit more time to pass for that and one can argue if it wasn't for aquafina's character like they would have probably lost yeah so that backs up my point even more right so she is the hero, right? She makes that amazing shot at the end where she kills the evil dragon with her bow and arrow. So what should have been really satisfying, I walked away from it like, like she made that shot? <laughs> this, this like parking valet who practiced with a bow and arrow for one day made this amazing shot in this mystical land. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of silly. Hawkeye she, got nothing on her. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like, if, if you saw her train, fail, fail again, make some gradual improvement, and then over time, she mastered her skill, then she made the shot, like, there you go, right? That would have been pretty satisfying, but in the end, it was just kind of silly. Mm-hmm. So one thing I have to say, I mean, I I don't know if this is a negative or not. Like, I feel like this is like a double-edged sword, what I want to say. Um, one, I feel like this movie was a standalone good Marvel film where it, you don't need to watch the other Marvel films to understand what's going on. Obviously, there are references. You know, there's Abomination and Wong and, you know, the other two Avengers who see in the post credit scene. Um but at the same time, I also kind of, you know, I wish this kind of happens for like the rest of phase four movies is like, how did the snap affect those movies? Because it seems like the snap didn't affect any of these characters, like no one in the village, none of Katie's family, like, like, no, it seemed just like nobody snapped away and they all hit the lottery and were able to move on. Yeah, interesting point. We know this movie takes place after the snap because they actually reference the snap early in the movie. 
right? Someone says, it's like uh, Aquafina's friend says, uh, we live in a world where half the population can just disappear at the mm -hmm. snap of a finger, right? So you know the snap has happened. And yet, yeah, kind of like what you're saying, Bravirio, we don't really see any effects of the snap, really. So I don't know. I feel like if you have to explain the snap in every MCU thing after Infinity War, then it can become kind of tedious, right? So uh, I feel like, you know, logically they do have to like, you know, get away from that sort of. But maybe I'll pose this question to you, Perfirio, then. Uh, what would you, what would have you liked to see in the movie? W would you have wanted to see some sort of reference to it or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it did, I guess it didn't have to be big. I guess, like, just, you know, something about, like, um, like, I don't know, one of the main characters, like, reappearing from the snap and just, like, saying something like, oh, like, uh, like, I am, your life, yeah, can disappear very fast. And then, so you're grateful for a second chance. I don't know, something like that. Um, I feel like that would have been more made more sense with someone like in within like Katie's family. How they, you know, something like Katie's mom would have been like, oh, like I was gone and like here you are kind of just wasting your life away, you know, or like, like uh, I was given a second chance and you never went away, but here you are kind of wasting your life away. I feel like that would have been a cool little reference, but like yeah what what do you think christian it's definitely like a uh like a, a tight rope to walk of how much you want to reference the snap and show how much the snap changed um mm -hmm. like where you, you, you this could be like someone's first marvel movie you know and you don't want to bring in like all you know the the end game like, I don't want to call it like baggage or anything, but you you don't want too many references to like to older movies making it feel like a sequel when it, when I think they really wanted this one in particular. Because um, there are still like quite a lot of references to other movies, the way they reference um, Iron Man 3 and of course, like I, how I mentioned Ben Kingsley earlier, who was the fake Mandarin. And then, of course, you get like a little nod with the abomination and Wong, and so there's all there's already like kind of tons of Easter eggs, and then they mention the snap, and so like it would have been nice like to have like a scene like kind of you were saying like another like reference from like one of the family, you know, um, and showing that it's a real thing with real consequences. Mm -hmm. um, I guess like I wouldn't put much more than that, even though when you think of the snap logistically and the way you looked at like New York at the beginning of Endgame, like I don't know how much later this takes place from Endgame, but you think like yeah, San Francisco would probably look like might still look completely dilapidated, kind of like New York would architecturally. Mm -hmm. But I think that might be a little too much, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It, it's just too much to ask to continually make references to past movies all the time, right? Um, the MCU is great in that it's all connected, um, but yeah, it can get really tedious if you're having to reference old stuff all the time, right? Um, so there li- therein lies the challenge, right? You know, as this cinematic universe continues on, you mentioned baggage, Christian. There is baggage. There's all the baggage of the previous movies. So they get to play with bringing old actors back and play with old storylines and have it all be connected. And that's all fun. But with that, you have to deal with the baggage. You have to deal with with all the, the, the previous stories, right? So, you know, every time you see anyone in a future movie or show, you wonder, oh, I wonder if they were snapped away or not, you know? <laughs> Did, did they, are they plus five years or are they minus five years? <laughs> like there's that one character in um, Far From Home, uh, Brad Davis, right? So he's, he, uh, he aged five years more than like most of the characters in the movie. So he looks a lot older. He's like a lot more attractive than when, when everyone last saw him, right? So that's just one character, but you wonder if there's like tons of situations like that all throughout the MCU now, right? People whose ages are like all over the place, right? It's got to be, right? If 50% were snapped away, then there's there's got to be all these weird scenarios going on, right? Um, mm-hmm. So we got to live with this baggage. And uh, it's kind of weird because you don't want to bog down stories and uh, movies and shows, Um but as fans of the MCU, we have to think about this sort of sort of thing, right? Uh, so that's that's just the world we're we're living in. And, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you, Perfirio. Like, uh, I I love to think about these sorts of things. Um, but the, for the sake of having a solid standalone movie, yeah, you can't you can't get bogged down too much, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, anything else? Not necessarily a positive or a negative. Any just random observations along the way? Thoughts? Oh, yeah. What did you guys think of the uh, after credit scenes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, going there. we're going there now. Let's go yeah. there. Why not? <laughs> the future. <laughs> so there were two. There was a mid credit scene and a post credit scene. So, okay, so the first one was what? What happened in that first stinger? So that was when. The fir- uh, oh yeah, why don't you? Why don't you? No, prefere you tell the story. <laughs> so the first, the mid credit scene is when Wong kind of teleports. Um, uh, Shang Chi and Katie into his um, little what's it called the the sanctuary yeah right? uh, and he they talk with um, Bruce Banner and um, Carol Danvers aka Captain Marvel 
about the Ten Rings and what they're made of, like where they come from, and that they're saying a message to somewhere. And so, like, I saw this funny comment saying that, like, um, now that Coulson's gone, Wong is becoming like the Coulson for like Phase Four and bringing people together. Huh. And and um, I forgot who said it, but somebody said like, "Oh, get used to it. Like, you're gonna get suited up, get uh, get ready for joining the team. You know, just like that." And um, so. There's just, you know, I feel like that was an awesome scene, but just brought a lot more questions. Like, how is this connected? Do the te- what do the Ten Rings mean? Like, to um, so the more than a weapon, like, where is it coming from? And, like, you know, Bruce Banner and Carol Denvers are just, like, eliminating options. Like, this is not um, uh, alien, and it's not vibranium. So what is it? So... My guess is that it's going to connect somehow to Eternals. But um, that's just my guess, because I can't think of any other way it could be connected. Um, that doesn't already have, like, a previous, like, project connected to it. Because, uh, you know, like, the Marvel movies, like Captain Marvel 2, there's already, like, the Sprawls and um, the WandaVision character. What's her name? Uh uh, what's her name? Oh, the witch's coven. Um, Agatha. No, no, no not Agatha. Um, the 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 sword agent. What's her oh, name? Uh, Monica oh, Rambeau. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They would have her connected to that. So it's just like I I don't know what what other Marvel project this movie can be connected to. But that's my guess. Eternals. What? Well, what, what were you guys? Well, historically, MCU stingers have teased the very next movie. So mm-hmm. by that precedent, maybe it is a reference to the Eternals. Um, we had a post-movie discussion that night, and uh, we were speculating that it was cosmic in origin, and yep could be related to the Eternals. Um, so it's definitely a possibility. You know, I have no idea what the origins, the true origins of the Ten Rings are. So um, that, that could be it, I think. Um, but a couple of other thoughts on that scene. Really cool. Like that scene really officially gave the stamp of the MCU, right? We are in the MCU. We got Avengers showing up and um references to vibranium etc etc uh so pretty cool to see and super funny like um the end of the scene had katie shang chi and wong going out to sing karaoke so (laughs) that was awesome (laughs) they sing like hotel california yes which was prominent earlier in the movie right so a uh, great scene. Um, but I do agree. It did bring up a lot of questions. You know, it, it talked about this beacon, uh, this beacon uh, that the 10 rings were emitting, right? No idea what, what that is about. Again, probably a teaser for what's to come. And um, 
interestingly, we see Bruce Banner, not the Hulk, not smart Hulk, but just regular old Bruce Banner. His arm is in a sling, so it seems like his snap uh, injury uh, is still affecting him, but he's not the Hulk. So I thought after seeing him in Endgame as Smart Hulk, that was just who he was for the rest of his life, you know, but here we see him as a regular human. So that, that's another big question. How did that happen? And what is that all about? Yeah. You guys have any thoughts on that? Why is Bruce Banner just Bruce Banner and not the Hulk? Can, can he control it now? You think, or I wonder what, um, cause he talked about how in Endgame he went into like, like a, just a tank of radiation and just st- like hung out there pretty much until he like became hulked out out of the time until he had this like kind of Zen, you know, version of himself, you know? So like, I, like, I, I have no clue really why, why he would be back to Bruce again and whether he can, like part of me is wondering is like, maybe he just can't Hulk out anymore. Um, I, I don't think so. Cause that essentially means the death of the, the Hulk, you know? Um, but still keeping Bruce Banner as like a maybe a side cameo type character for other movies mm-hmm. without having to without putting too much into it like a CGI budget. Yeah. Or I maybe... mean, She Hulk's She Hulk's coming around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, and, and I she's think that all uh, the time. And mm-hmm. I think um, Mark Ruffalo is on board for that. So we'll we'll find out more with yeah. that. That could be the little bit of teaser for She-Hulk. Yeah, now that you mentioned yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Like you, you see that knowing Endgame, and you think like, oh, why is he, why is he uh, like that? Oh, I better go watch She-Hulk coming out on Disney Plus <laughs> whenever <laughs> it comes out. There you go. To answer that question, it's all marketing. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that Banner can control it now. That's my explanation that he can control it now. Um, it seemed like an end game. He was really enjoying being hulked out all the time. But my take is that, yeah, he can control it. If he wants to go to regular old Bruce Banner, he can. And maybe he just switches off whenever he feels like. And maybe ultimately the answer to the question is Mark Ruffalo is tired of wearing dots on his face when he's acting and he just wanted to play regular old Bruce Banner for that scene. Maybe that's as simple as it it is. Okay. Uh, any other thoughts on Shang-Chi? Well, then there's the other after credit scene. Oh, right. Yeah. Let's get to that. Yeah. Uh, there's the one, the other after credit scene features um, Shang-Chi's sister. Um, kind of taking over the Ten Rings. Yep. And it looks like she's like totally like wants to, you know, take up the role of just like having like a Mortal Kombat kind of arena. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, yes. Yeah, so it was set up earlier where Shang-Chi was saying, my sister is working on closing down the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, with this scene, we come to find out that she is far from closing it down, but rather she's taking it over, right? Um, so she seems very villainous <laughs> sitting in her dad's throne. And it seems like um, she's building an army. And uh, to me, this this almost is like a, a possible storyline for the sequel to the movie. You know, she rebuilds the Ten Rings and Shang-Chi has to take on his sister in the sequel. That's where it seems like it's heading, but who knows? What do you guys think? I think so. That could be, um, I guess that could be two or three. Um, or because of the way they seem, it seems like Shang-Chi is from the two after credit scenes, it's going to head in either two directions. One is going to be the more cosmic side of the 10 rings themselves. And then the other is of the 10 rings, you know, the organization and notice how they, at the end, they say like the 10 rings will return. Yeah. And That's not right. saying Shang Chi will return, even though, of course, we know he will, he will return. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I think I like that scene. Um, I think another, I guess, kind of complaint I had about the movie was I think of all of all the characters, like I thought Shang Chi's sister was definitely like the least developed and the weakest. Like overall, she shows up kind of late in the movie, and um, the entrance. She has a she has a nice fight, but and some good some good scenes, but they're just kind of fight scenes, and that's a we really don't know too much about her. So I thought this end mm-hmm. credit scene was a nice little payoff to her character, and like a nice little and a good hint that you know, like they're gonna do more with her later, and we'll get that character development in a later movie that they're just saving it. Yeah the the only theory I have to why she's like that is i mean this is a theory based off what i was reading off the internet that makes sense is like the the mcu is just like set in for you like a thunderbolts or dark avengers movie because i mean like a lot of recent mcu films you have like you know like yelena and um agent usa like having like this like oh they'll be back you know so Mm -hmm. Like, even though they all have, like, their separate storylines, I just feel like it makes sense to, like, set up all these villains later for them to maybe come back later on for future films, like a Sinister Six kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And then, like, have, like, a reason to, like, bring back another group of Avengers or a, a new group that will replace the Avengers or something like that. Yeah, you know, one thing the MCU has done is essentially hold villain tryouts, right? Like, there have been a lot of villains in these movies, and some of them we never see again. Like, Malekith the Dark Elf, never seen that guy again, right? But from Thor 1... I don't even remember what happened to that dude. <laughs> maybe he died. Yeah, maybe that's why he's not back. But I don't think that's the only reason. Um, but on the flip side, 
the villain from Thor 1, Loki, ended up on the highest stage, the main villain in Avengers 1, and he's been in the MCU all the time since, even after death, right? Um, so He's even had his own show. His own show, exactly. Uh, so here with Shang-Chi's sister, um, it might be one of those things where like, they're leaving the door open to having her be a main villain uh, later on, or maybe some sort of team up. Maybe she's going to join the Thunderbolts with Yelena and US agent, or, or maybe we'll never see her again. <laughs> like, you don't know. Actually, I think we will see her again because it did say the 10 rings will return. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, what the future holds, we don't know exactly. Or maybe Henry, she'll give us the proper Mortal Kombat movie that you, we all, we all <laughs> deserve. Go. Finally. If she held the <laughs> tournament, yeah, that would mm-hmm. probably be pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's get into our ratings. On a scale of one to five, what would you give Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings? Uh, let's start with you, Christian. What do you think? All right. Um, uh, okay, so I think I'll give this movie a four out of five. I think that, like like I said, it's a pretty electrifying movie. Like, the combat in the movie, uh, really, really cool. Like, worth the ticket price of alone just to see just those those two big set pieces in the first, in the first half that we talked about. Um you have great character like for the most part um and like i had a lot of fun with this movie um like we talked about before it it does dip in quality in the second half of the movie and loses a bit of that that real charm um but i i think i don't think it completely nose dives i think it just it just it dips a little bit. It doesn't finish as strong as you as you wouldn't, but it's still a lot of fun. I I, I definitely would recommend seeing this in the theater uh, if you feel comfortable, if you feel safe. Um, it definitely is worth it. So I do recommend this. I would say like definite top ten Marvel movie for me. Um, I'm not sure. I guess where exactly it places. If it places in the top five. But highly recommend. Cool. Four out of five. Four out of five from Christian. What about you, Perfurio? I would give this a five out of five. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Great action. Great storytelling. Great visuals. Great choreography. Like, sure, there are like some Nicky Pickett things that I said that I wish or I didn't like. Like, um, you know, about like the references of it being a Marvel film or uh, that, yeah, like some things that didn't make logically, but the enjoyment out of the film far outweighs any of those like little critiques that I have for it. And I highly recommend it. It's a really great film. Um, And it was just, I think, like a fresh breath air from 
all the other kind of Marvel content that we've had throughout the year. Um, really good. Five out of five. Right on. Okay, for me, I'm going to go with four out of five. Definitely enjoyed this movie a lot. Big time props to the director. We haven't brought up the director yet. Destin Daniel Cretton. Phenomenal job. Not an easy task. Um, I really love the approach. I, I, I mentioned this before, but the approach was super solid. You know, he didn't try to do too much. Essentially, the approach was to make a fun kung fu movie. On that level, he nailed it. You know, it's a really fun movie. It's a good time. Um, it's not complicated. The plot is very straightforward. You get what you paid for here. You know, great kung fu action and um, just very enjoyable. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've we've covered a lot of the highlights in the movie and um, there's just a lot going for it. There's a lot going for this movie. Um, you know, the, the, the context of it, I, I guess we should bring up too. Um, we alluded to it earlier, but we're living in pretty crazy times right now. And anything that can put a smile on your face is very welcome. And this movie put a smile on my face. No question. I, I, I highly enjoyed it. And uh, more specifically, uh, we're dealing with a lot of Asian hate in this country right now, right? There's the hashtag stop Asian hate. And um, to see a movie like this right now, it's uh, so refreshing. You know, you hear so many stories about Asians in this country uh, being assaulted. Uh, you know, this movie kind of flips the script on all that. So uh, wonderful to see the images that I got to see here. Really awesome stuff. Um, yeah, I do agree with Christian about the end of the movie where uh, the quality falls off a bit. Um, that's probably where I'm, I'm dropping it from a five to a four, um, but ultimately a great experience watching this movie four out of five and uh, you know one last thing that popped in my head and that is uh, what we often do a comparison of adaptation and source material right so one thing that i thought of with the shang chi character in comics is that historically he's been a non-superpowered individual like he is the master of kung fu and he's basically a bruce lee type he can kick some ass but he does not possess superpowers now the mcu shang chi seems to deviate from this right for the first half of the movie or so they were sticking with that but um once he gets to talo he develops mystical powers. And at the end of the movie, not only does he have that, but he also has the 10 rings. 
So he went from a non-superpowered individual to an extremely powerful superhero at the end of the movie. Like, what are your guys' thoughts about that? Having this type of character in the MCU now, as opposed to the comic book origins where it's quite different. Um, let's see. I, I don't mind it. Uh, I, it's a nice like progression for the character. Um, I hope he doesn't overuse the 10 rings in the next movie. Um, because the best part of the movie is just the, the hand to hand combat. And so while I like the 10 rings, I thought they were cool. Um, I like, I don't know. I hope I cut like part of me really hopes that he loses them in a way and or and like can't use them and has to go back to the the hand to hand at some point just because that part was so well done yeah but i think uh for an avengers team up though you know something of that nature i think it'd be perfect for that it the rings are really cool but i don't think he'll be like overpowered you know they don't seem too overpowered compared to um in relation to the rest of the MCU. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think, Preferio? I think, I, I don't know, I'm kind of like the opposite. I think that I prefer him with the Ten Rings. Like, yeah, like the Kung Fu is awesome, but I've, I don't know, it's hard to say. It's hard. I think the Kung Fu may only work for this movie, just because, like, that was just a big thing that featured in this movie, this whole choreography. I don't know if Marvel will go out with their budget and have and put in the whole like choreography for an like a future like team up kind of movie. Um, if it's another like Shang Chi standalone part two sequel, totally, I would totally like to see Kung Fu. But if it's like a team up, then I could see like the choreography not be so strong and more emphasis on like the 10 rings as a weapon yeah interesting yeah i i was on board with the mystical aspect of the character i thought it was cool that his aunt was teaching him this techniques these techniques that were kind of introduced to him at a real early age from his mom right so he did learn how to like kind of control the elements as he's doing kung fu so you get these cool shots of him um with like leaves blowing behind him and stuff um but yeah i was kind of weirded out by the fact that he was wielding the 10 rings at the end like he he was owning them right um that didn't seem right. Like they're really straying from storylines here, right? With the uh, the Ten Rings in the comics, they're the Mandarin's weapons, right? And um, not only was Shang Chi not super powered, but he he certainly didn't have the Ten Rings. Uh, so that's a big departure. Now it's an adaptation, right? You got to you know, change things up. Uh, but that, yeah, that seemed weird to me that Shang-Chi would have the 10 rings. Uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, now, one last question. Yeah. Uh, this popped in my head just now too. 
So at the end, Wong summons Shang-Chi, right? But he doesn't just summon him. He summons Shang-Chi and Katie. He specifically asks for both of them, right? Why Katie? Like, why did he bring her into the conversation too? Why do you guys think that? Hmm. Because she killed a freaking kaiju with a lucky shot he was like you're gonna be we don't have enough archers we just have hawkeye we're gonna so, be another archer so maybe wong only saw like the highlight reel he just saw like a few like minutes of it and he saw her make that shot and was like oh whoa gotta get her right he didn't really yeah. know the background maybe <laughs> that could be it right i don't know or or is there something else is there something else to the katie character that we don't know about maybe i have Mm -hmm. a theory about this so um this this kind of almost kind of extends more to the last question but um the the ten rings were what gave um the mandarin eternal life the um remember how like uh he was like had voices in his head that came out at, at, as his wife and then uh mm-hmm. when she was talking to his aunt and told him about that she said oh well did he have the 10 rings on mm-hmm. so i wonder so one one idea is that the 10 rings is actually very similar to like the one ring from lord of the rings I was going to ask, yeah. (laughs) Maybe not as, like, evil or sinister as, like, a Dark Lord. I guess we'll see what happens. But the idea is, um, like, it might have to do with exposure to the rings. Maybe they give off an aura. Maybe there's there's a a mystical power with them. That could be the reason that he brought Katie along, was that she was exposed, in a sense, to the rings by being so close to Shang-Chi. And... Um, maybe which may, which might be he won't use them in the next movie until like maybe the end you know or like only at the beginning because of some other otherworldly aura about them that could be mm-hmm. much more sinister mm-hmm. ah. so there's so, my theory interesting yeah I like that you heard your first from Christian <laughs> So Stand there may here. be there may be a, a curse aspect to these rings, huh? Oh, could be. Um, with the Katie character, uh, one thing I thought about was the fact that she was kind of specifically called out for the archery training, right? It seemed kind of just coincidental that they dropped these arrows in front of her and she brought the arrows to the archery range. Um, but it seemed like they specifically wanted her out there. So um, maybe there's something to this character. There's something within her. Maybe it's not that ridiculous that she became uh, an expert archer after one day's training, right? Um, maybe that's or, not so ridiculous after all. Or maybe Kevin finds you just like diversity. Like we need diversity on the Avengers team. <laughs> Got to hit that quota. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
Yeah. I hope they explain it. I hope they explain it because to me, it, it seems a little bit silly that Wong would specifically ask for, for her, you know, mm-hmm. um, I feel like there's an explanation out there and I want to know, I want to hear it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely as usual, more questions after the movie is done. Um, but we shall see what happens for now. We can wrap up the episode. This is farewell from Henry Porfirio and Christian.